0: Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're gonna love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band and every band guy wants to be an, an, you know a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, of like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey, and the I was like, hmm, I think you should stay neutral. And we're like, yeah, yeah. you know what, well, you're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 29 of the Tell It Abs. It is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and brought to you, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook. The tournament is in full swing and the action has not disappointed. This year's college basketball tournament has been shock full of upsets, including some of the big ones like Oral Roberts knocking off Ohio State, North Texas knocking off Purdue, a Bill Christian knocking off Texas. And if I can make a safe bet, your bracket is probably busted. But that's no worries. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. If you're like me and you're looking at your bracket with disgust, this is a great way to get back in your own good graces with a 100-to-1 odds on any any tournament game for new customers. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game for you to cash in. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. But if college basketball is not for you, there is no need to worry. DraftKings Sportsbook has 100-1 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. And if UFC is not for you as well, that's still no worry because DraftKings has daily odds for any and all hockey action as we get down to the nitty-gritty at the halfway point of the season. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 at the basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So we've got a packed episode for this one. There is a lot to talk about. A lot has happened in the last few days. Most namely, the Avalanche have played two games against the Arizona Coyotes, winning one 5-1 to one, in a pretty dominant performance. Another great game from Philip Grubauer. I mean, they weren't the Minnesota level. They weren't playing that well. The game was basically 3-1. to Donskoy gets an empty netter and then another one with the goalie in the net with like seven seconds left to push it to five to one and make it look a little worse than it was but again pretty dominant performance and then the second game is a four to four tie that the coyotes got a tiebreaker for in my favorite thing and the thing that i have held back talking about on this show for so long because i have been waiting for it to finally happen to the avalanche and we went more than half the season without it occurring and that is the shootout yes this game was the first game of the season for the avalanche to go to a shootout and the Coyotes won the shootout I suppose three to one and ended up winning the game five to four even though that fifth goal doesn't mean anything no one scored it so again I st- I do not acknowledge shootout results. Shootouts, to me, are a tie. And I will break into my full why shootouts should be abolished in a moment. Just briefly cover the rest of the game and go in more into detail afterwards. But game ends 5-4 to four. in a shootout. Jonas Johansson makes his first start for the Avalanche. And we'll talk about him later as well. He finishes with an 875, did not play very well whatsoever and did not really give the avalanche much of a chance to win this in regulation but ultimately i don't think he was unbearably bad and he made some saves but again i'll dig more into that later the top line was outstanding tonight Miko rantanen is red hot right now he is now third in the rocket richard race and i believe only two goals behind mcdavid and matthews for that top spot in the entire league when it comes to goal scoring and man imagine if you put Rantanen in that north division where they for defense is a choice apparently and the Avalanche blow a 4-2 to lead in the third period they looked they looked like they were going to close this game out after they went up 4-2 to in the third period then just again we'll lump this into the Jonas Johansson discussion later they blow the two-goal lead again, very reminiscent of the Ducks game from a few weeks ago. The Avalanche did play well in this game again. I'm not very concerned about the loss, especially as I'll get into in a second. I don't consider it a loss at all because it's not. But this game was it was fun. It was it was honestly one of the more fun games of the season. There was a lot to watch. I mean, the Coyotes are not an exciting team to watch whatsoever. It takes the Avalanche having to play them to even feel a pulse when watching a Coyotes game, but they do score on their first shot. The Coyotes do, and they're up two to nothing in the first. The Avalanche battle back to tie it, and Avalanche rattle off two more and blow the two-goal lead in the third period. Goes to overtime, a very, very entertaining overtime. Another reason I'm not happy about a shootout by any means but this was a dominant performance from the top line landis gog with the first goal rantanen with the second goal and then mckinnon getting on the board with his 10th of the season and 200th goal of his career with 11 seconds left in the second period and then ryan graves takes a shot from the point that he couldn't really tell anyone got a piece of but it looked like it just hit like the middle of nachushkin's stick and ultimately it's his goal four to two with 15 minutes left and then just three minutes later the Coyotes have the game tied at four from Lawson Kraus and Phil Kessel and I'll lump those two goals into the Jonas Johansson discussion overtime's very entertaining the Avalanche they get a power play in the overtime Aiden Hill the Coyotes goalie in this game their third string goalie you know another thing we'll bring up later Coyotes on their third string goalie out dueling dueling our basically fourth goalie right now Aiden Hill stacking the pads with an outstanding save on the Avalanche's power play in overtime on Kale McCarr. And I mean, even Jonas Johansson making some solid saves in the overtime as well to keep the Coyotes off the board at three on three. And the penalty ends with basically a minute to go in the overtime period. And it's four on four for the final minute. And then it's just over. Yeah, it just ends. And it goes to a shootout. And at that point, I stopped caring because shootouts are not a proper way to determine the winner of a hockey game. Here we go. Here's the rant. I have been saving this one all season. I have specifically waited for the Avalanche to finally have a game that finished in a shootout. This was the only time I ever, even a little bit deep down, wanted a shootout, just so I could rant about how terrible these things are. And before we start, this is not coming from the fact that the Avalanche lost the shootout. I would be having the same rant if they won the shootout because I straight up do not care who wins or loses in a shootout. It does not, to me, determine the winner of a game. It does not prove to me who the better team was that night. It proves to me, okay, well they scored they got the best of three on a breakaway challenge, the skills competition. That does not mean they were the better team tonight and deserved to walk out with two points. They did not fairly score more goals than the other team. They didn't score more goals than the other team. Shootout goals don't count at all. They're not a stat. They're, they only matter in shootouts. They don't matter for anything else outside of that. You only see shootout stats in shootouts. They don't count as goals. There's no assist. They don't count as saves for the goalie they don't mean anything. Why are these even here? Why do we do these? Like to, to finish games, to finish specifically three on three overtime after five minutes and go to a shootout is to me one of the most baffling things I've ever, I've ever seen in sports. Why are these here? you don't see basketball after the first overtime break out the basketball racks and break into a three-point competition. You don't see baseball, after one extra inning, just start a home run derby. Like, in football, I mean, football's not great because they actually tie, but at least they're honest about it. At least they're honest that the game was a tie, and they don't bring out the kickers for a field goal kicking competition and then say the team that made the most field goals is the winner of the game at least they're honest and say the game was a tie when it was a tie in the nhl the second the first overtime period ends in my mind the game is a tie it should be a tie both teams should just get one point and walk out of there i don't like ties and i don't think ties should ever be a thing they should implement But what they should do is get rid of the shootout entirely. There is no reason for these to exist whatsoever. Just have a longer overtime. I mean, what percentage of five-on-five overtime, if you just extended it five more minutes, how many of those would actually get past the 10-minute mark? It would have to take some outstanding goaltending to keep Every single shot out at three on three overtime. Eventually, one is going to go in. I mean, if you had a 20 minute three on three overtime, how many of those a season would actually go the full distance? Honestly, maybe one. Maybe one. How many of those would even go past the 10 minute mark? I, th- I think you're barely reaching into the double digits. Maybe 10. Out of the thousands of games we play in a season, and it's just much more entertaining. And it's if a team scores in overtime, then they deserved to win the game. But a shootout is just—it's a crapshoot. It's a coin flip. It's it's a breakaway challenge. You see it. You see it in the All Star competition. I ju- I just cannot even wrap my brain around as to how after. almost 20 years of doing this no one has ever been like yeah these are actually terrible why are we doing this again and I don't understand if the players like it or management thinks fans like it I've never met a person who like gets excited for the shootout every hockey fan I've met that like watches hockey like consistently hates this stuff No one likes when a game goes to a shootout. It feels cheap. I mean, if your team wins a shootout, obviously you're going to be happy and excited because your team won the game, but does it not feel a little cheap? Like, well, were we even going to win the overtime? I guess we'll never know now because we had to finish it in a skills competition. I mean, I just can't even wrap my brain around as to why these even exist. And okay, the Coyotes won the shootout three to one, and they say that I don't even remember who was it. Clayton Keller scored the the game-winning goal in the shootout. The shootout? No, he didn't. There was no goal scored. Yeah, he scored the, the deciding goal. They called a game-winning goal it implies that he scored a goal. According to his stats, no, he didn't. No, he absolutely did not. Shootout stats do not show up in official stats whatsoever. If you score a goal in overtime, that shows up on your stats. Shootout goals don't. And at the, the argument I've heard before is like, oh, well, soccer does it with penalty kicks. Yeah, that sucks too. Just because soccer does it doesn't mean it's a good thing. And most people in soccer hate them. I mean, in soccer, it's a lot harder to score a goal than it is in hockey, and you rarely see goals at all, and I guess you need at some point to end the game. So at least in that sense, it makes even just a little bit of sense. Like, the games would go on sometimes forever in soccer. But in hockey, three-on-three overtime. You're telling me that if this overtime between the Avalanche and the Coyotes goes on for five more minutes, no one scores a goal, and everyone's going to be miserable because they can't go home until they score a goal? I th- I think that's bullshit. I think that's complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, someone's going to score eventually. Yeah, but the backup, the third string goalies for both teams were in net and making some outstanding saves. Aiden Hill with one of the saves of the year, the one I mentioned earlier, the stacking the pads on Kale McCarr and getting back to make the second save as well. The game should have been over. And that was really the only real exciting scoring chance in it but there were plenty of close times a lot of saves johansson made some nice saves and then before you know it it's over if one if one team takes a penalty in overtime they're basically screwed they basically can't score a goal in overtime unless they score it shorthanded like the coyotes took a penalty with about three minutes left in the game and they Couldn't get back on the ice, even strength, until there was one minute left. And even then, it was four on four. The second it hits four on four, the odds of a goal being scored go down astronomically. And then basically, the second you take a penalty, the point I'm trying to make, the second you take a penalty in overtime, you're basically praying for a shootout. Because you're not going to score after that. Because after that, it's 4-on-4, four four, and then you need to get really lucky to score on that. And then, to get back to 3-on-3, three three, you have to wait for a whistle. And most of the time, sometimes it just never comes, because to get a whistle, the goalie has to freeze the puck. Or there has to be another penalty. And so, I just can't, I can't stand these. I can't stand them whatsoever. They're an awful way to end games. And they should never be used. They need they need to be gotten rid of. I would much rather have a 10-minute overtime, and if, I mean, if it, if two teams can't score on three-on-three on three overtime after 10 minutes, how do we not just call that a draw? I mean, that is as close as a game can get. If both teams are so evenly matched that night that they cannot beat each other in 10 Ten minutes of three-on-three overtime, then what's a shootout going to decide? Does that determine who the better team was that night? Just call it a draw. I mean, I'm not crazy about ties, but it makes more sense than just the, okay, I guess we're having a a random skills competition tiebreaker. Or just just continue it until someone scores and have 10-minute breaks in between 10 minutes of three-on-three, and then 10 minutes of another. How many of those would actually ever reach a second overtime? Not very many. I think maybe once every two years, you'd get the occasional three-on-three overtime. And, like, coaches would have to think and use strategy. Like, do I want to put my bottom six guys out in three-on-three overtime and risk them getting caught out on the ice against the other team's best? Nope. Now, after five minutes, we just got to go to a shootout and be like, all right, all right. Uh, Clayton Keller go out and deke the goalie. And it's stupid when they do it in World Juniors and the Olympics. Like it's stupid in all, all across the board in all forms of hockey. There's no reason for it to exist other than just it's what people are used to. That's the only reason it's still here. It's just what we're used to. We're used to shootouts, and it'd, like there'd be outcry again. I guess from some people about getting rid of them. You probably hear an earful from the Players Association. Like, if you want to go home so badly, if you want the game to be over so badly, then score a goal in overtime and end the game. Like, y- you're getting paid to be out there, right? Like, I just I just don't understand the logic of having these whatsoever. No, like, I've said it a million times. No other league does this. And to have a league that has such an excellent overtime, I'd, I'd say the NHL has the best overtime of all four major sports because it, it can just end in an instant. No other sport has that. Football, I mean, football's overtime rules are stupid, and technically it can end at any time with a touchdown. But again, I'm not going to get into the depths of football overtime on this show, but it could be a lot better, and it's always complained about even then. Basketball is just normal basketball. And if the overtime period ends with a team leading, then they win. And if it if it's still tied, they go to another overtime. Straightforward, but it works. But and in baseball, obviously extra innings. It just works the same as any other inning. In hockey, if a goal is scored, the game's over. Like that that explosion, that buildup, that roller coaster of emotions like oh my god there's a breakaway for the other team our goalie made a save now we have a breakaway and then we can win and then they do and the place goes nuts like there's nothing else like that in american sports and then to just take that away for something as anticlimactic as the shootout it's it's i can't wrap my brain around it every single time i'm watching a game that goes to a shootout And I've, luckily the avalanche, I've been able to avoid it for most of the season, but I watch a lot of other hockey and I've watched a lot of great games, a lot of great overtimes between evenly matched teams just get randomly decided in a shootout. And even the team that like deserves to win on most nights, they just, uh, the other goalie made a few stops in a shootout or someone hit the post. Like, okay. Like, I just don't acknowledge, I don't acknowledge the results. I feel like the Avalanche tied the Coyotes last night 4-4, to and it, that feels like a proper result. They couldn't beat each other in overtime. The Both backup goalies couldn't really come up with a big save for either team, and both offenses were able to answer the bell. That feels like a tie to me. But no, the Coyotes score on all three attempts in the shootout, and the Avalanche only score on one. The one thing I like about shootouts, the one thing, is that it makes for some awesome deeks. And the one we got from Jonas Donskoy in the shootout, first of all, Jonas Donskoy going first in the shootout. I was shocked at that. And I was like, Bednar, what are you doing? What the, what the hell is this? And then Donskoy does that where he embarrasses Aiden Hill and I was like, what the, what the hell was that? Who is that guy? Who is that? I want that Jonas Donskoy on the ice every night. I guess the, I guess he has shown something in practice that we have never seen before. I've never seen Jonas Donskoy do that. But it ultimately didn't matter. And the Coyotes scored on all three. Jonas Johansson didn't stop any of them. And the Coyotes just get an extra point out of it. And I I just can't bring myself to ultimately care that much. Yes, the Avalanche blew a lead, and they had a power play in overtime that they couldn't score on. And like, And that's what I'm frustrated about from the game, if I had to be frustrated about anything. Not the shootout. I don't care about it, and I don't see any reason that I should, because it is a skills competition. It's something that you literally see in the All-Star game. Just, what's the point? Why are these still here? Just extend overtime. Like, just make hockey exciting. Why do we insist on not making hockey exciting? Why do we go out of our way to make sure that hockey is never able to reach its full potential? Yes. Okay. Sometimes the games might go a little long. Okay. But come on shootouts. That's our only solution. We can't have anything else. I just, I just cannot stand them. And I, I feel like I could go on about shootouts for hours. I mean, how long have I been doing this rant about 20 minutes at this rate? I just cannot stand them whatsoever. There's nothing to like about them for me. They're not a proper way to determine who wins a game between two teams. And maybe when the Avalanche eventually have another shootout because the the veil has been broken and the demon has been unleashed, so maybe they're about to have a whole stretch of shootouts, and maybe I'll get to talk about this a lot more, which I, I hope not. I hope I never have to talk about another shootout again because it's I don't care. I don't care about the result of the game after that. There's been 29 games... For the Avalanche, or 30 games for the Avalanche, where the results were completely fair and were proper based on the hockey that took place on the ice. And now we have one where it didn't, where the result was not decided by the hockey played on the ice. It was decided in a skills competition. So that's the last I have to say about a shootout for now. Until there's another shootout again, I will not have this rant. I have I have been specifically saving this for until a shootout occurred for the avalanche because I knew that I would rant about it and I never I didn't want to waste time on here before that because I knew the second that one happened, I'd be able to get at least most of it out. I mean, I I'm not kidding when I say I could go on about shootouts for hours. I cannot stand these things. They are number one on the list of things that I can't stand about hockey. Number one. As a matter of fact, number two, I'm actually going to get to later in this show. I mean, if you've been listening from the start, I don't think I've really gotten to things in hockey that make me tick. At least not yet. And in this episode, we're getting to two. But I'm not going to get to that yet because I think I'll save it for one rant at a time. I'll get to that later once I talk about jonas johansson and just the overall game itself you know because that's what happened the game not the shootout. the shootout was like five minutes i should probably talk about the other 65 minutes of it at some point but moving on now from the shootout jonas johansson who the avalanche acquired in a trade with the buffalo sabers for a sixth round pick makes his first start with the team And immediately lets in the first shot he faces. A shot from the point from Jacob Chikrin. And just beats him clean. Doesn't hit anybody on the way. And then, as fate would have it, the next shot goes in as well. So the first two shots he faces in an avalanche uniform go in the net. Now, to be fair, the second goal that he allowed was the defense's fault the guy was wide open across the crease and i'd say probably at least 80 percent of the time the goalie is going to have a hard time making that save maybe grubauer makes that save just because grubauer is that good but you can't expect jonas johansson to make that save he's just not that kind of goalie then he he holds the fort for a little while to be fair he does not let in another goal for a little bit and the next goal comes from lawson kraus on a goal that he had a wide open net for and could have been better defense, but he really took his time getting back into position. And then the Phil Kessel one is is just a mixture of both the goaltending and the defense. Phil Kessel has a breakaway, and that is obviously never what you want to give up as defense. But Johansson stops it. He stops the breakaway, and then the puck is loose around his crease, And then it kind of gets pushed to the side of the net and people are just whacking away at it. It's Kessel and Clayton Keller down there for Arizona. And no one really does anything about it. And then Kessel just kind of slides the puck to the net. And for some reason, Johansson lifted his leg off of the post, which I'm not 100% sure what you're doing there. And the puck just slides right under him. Not a good goal to give up whatsoever, and not a good sequence for the defense at all. I mean, we do not play good defense in front of our backup goalies. It's really quite bizarre, actually. In most instances, you see teams not playing great defense in front of their goalie that's really good, and then playing much tighter defense in front of their backup goalie that they don't trust as much. It is the complete opposite for the Avalanche this season. Not like... And we talked a lot about Hunter Miska in the past. Hunter Miska has been left with some shitty defense at points, I mean, a lot of the time. And he, he never came up with the big save, and then he never made the saves on the easy shots, so you don't give him a break on those. But I really don't think Jonas Johansson was unbearably terrible in this game. I think he gave the team a shot to win it went to a shootout for god's sake and you had a power play in overtime you had every opportunity to get two points out of this game and he did he made some key saves in this game i'm not saying he played well i think he played poorly i want to want to make that clear i think he did not perform well enough in this game obviously because he didn't win the game i mean if you if you're not winning the game as the goalie i mean you probably didn't do something very well especially with the avalanche And scoring four goals in the game if you're giving up four goals a game you probably didn't have a great game but I don't think he was unbearable he made important saves he made some big saves in overtime there was a breakaway I don't fully remember who had the breakaway but he stopped the breakaway and then Clayton Keller took another slap shot that he made a stop on and I think if you give him another chance and you play better defense in front of him I think he can succeed I don't think he's at all a long-term solution. You, you immediately replace him with François with without hesitation. And I just don't think he was that terrible. He was not good enough, make no mistake, not good enough at all. But I don't think it's such a disaster that you have to immediately start Adam Warner in the next game. Actually, I do remember now. It was Phil Kessel who had the, another breakaway in overtime. How, like, and that alone is a problem. Phil Kessel's not exactly a skater. Phil Kessel had two breakaways in this game. I mean, that, that falls on the defense and not being able to cover their positions correctly. Phil Kessel is not a, a, the kind of player that moves his feet very well. He, he's a sniper, and that's what he is now, especially as he gets up there in age. He, the guy has never been a skater. Please excuse my barking hellhound upstairs, but but I think if you give Jonas Johansson a well enough defensive performance, I think he can give you a chance to win, and that's all you need. You don't need him to come in and completely shut down another team. I don't. Th- Jonas Johansson is never going to record a shutout. I would think. I'd be shocked if he did. In, during his time as a member of the Avalanche. I do think that he can hold the fort enough to for the for the Avalanche to win if they play well. They played well in this game. They deserved to win. They didn't get a bunch of key saves, but Johansson's not... He didn't lose it single-handedly. He should have saved the Chikrin shot. The second one was a tough one. And the last two... The first one, I don't entirely put on him. The fourth one, I do, but also with the caveat that the play should have never happened in the first place. And man, the problem was not solved with the trade, and I am a little annoyed at that, that we had to give up an asset to get a guy that is, I'd say he's better than Hunter Miska, but not really. But I don't know. It, the organization knows better than we do when Pavel François is coming back. And I mean, the th- the thing is, is that Jonas Johansson, he d- as we talked about when they made the trade, he did not have a ringing endorsement the second this trade was announced or even talked about. I mean, I can't re- I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, the Buffalo guy who made this tweet, but he said Jonas Johansson is the worst goalie he's seen in 19 years of covering the sabers and the general question is just what do the avalanche see in this guy that they think he's going to be better than hunter misca and he he has terrible career numbers he's he's won one game as a goaltender and his career save percentage before this game was an 884 but even then i think this avalanche team is good enough and has a very very good defense to the point that they if they play better in front of him better defense less breakaways and no quality scoring chances like that second goal then i think they will actually be okay in this i know everyone's panicking because oh my god we have hunter Miska 2.0 i don't think that's the case obviously philip grubauer is going to play the next stretch of games he's going to play both games against Vegas at minimum and at least one of the Ducks and Coyotes games coming up at the end of the month after the Vegas series I mean I wouldn't be surprised if he got the Ducks game to be honest and Grubauer gets the Coyotes game after they play Vegas or maybe he doesn't at all because the Avalanche have a back-to-back against St. Louis immediately following that. I don't know. It's tough. Do you want to play Philip Grubauer all four of those games? Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't be disappointed if he did because you're giving yourself a very solid chance to win those games and you put Johansson in for one of the games against the Blues, but you're going to have to play your backup goalie at some point. You can't just run Grubauer into the ground... And I've, I wouldn't be, i wouldn't be shocked if Johansson comes in for one of the games against either the Ducks or the Coyotes next week on home ice to at least just, just give Grubauer a little bit of a rest because there's going to be the back-to-back against St. Louis. Johansson's going to get one of those games. And then you have your last two games against Minnesota immediately after that. So there, there's just not really going to be any rest for Grubauer if you don't play Johansson in at least one of those games i think you you designate one of them as a rest game for grubauer i think it should be the the ducks game honestly and you let grubauer play against the coyotes and play against the blues and let him play against the wild after that i'm i'm just ultimately not as worried about it as i was i think i saw enough that he is capable of making saves at an NHL level. He is never going to be a starter. He might not even be a backup. But as a third-string goalie, as a stopgap, until Pavel François is able to come back, I think he can get that job done. I'm not expecting great performances out of him. When he's in net, I'm expecting the Avalanche to have to win four to three, five to three games. You know, they're going to have to play well on offense and defense in order to get a win. But I think that's just the, that this is the hand you're dealt now. There's not really a lot of goalies on the market, and you would have had to pay a bigger price to get one of the higher-end guys like a Jonathan Bernier, and you, I think you get Jonathan Bernier if François is out for the entire season, and if that was the case, they would have made the trade back in January. And I think, I think he actually is going to be coming back eventually. I mean, this is just my speculation, but the Jonas Johansson trade alone to me means that he's not close, but it's not so far off that we need to get an immediate backup goaltender to hold the four. I think Johansson starts maybe between four to six games, maybe five games, and then we can start to see François come back. I mean, we can, we should be able to survive that, right? Four or five games. If you and like I said, if you play well enough in front of him, I think he can get the job done. Might not be perfect, might let in the the occasional soft goal like he did in this game, but I think he can do it. I don't want to make any assumptions to be like, oh, this guy's a bum after one game. And even though his record in the past with Buffalo isn't anything to be proud of. He did just get here. I'd say give him a little bit of time to really acclimate with the system and the defense and just the culture of the team that like losing is not acceptable here like it is in Buffalo. Give him another shot. If if he has this exact same problem in the next game, okay, now there's something here and we should be concerned about it. We, you should be concerned now but I don't think it's to the point where you need to ring the alarms and bring Adam Werner in immediately as just an emergency. But he did get out in this game by Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill played well enough when it counted, and he made that amazing save in overtime on Cale McCarr. The Avalanche should have won the game on that power play, and that amazing save and not being able to get really another quality scoring chance was ultimately the reason they didn't get two points in this game. I just, I think he's okay. He's not great. He's not even particularly good. I think even okay might be stretching it a bit, but I think that's just, I think he's the bare minimum of what you need to at least win a few games with your backup goalie. Because it would be nice to win every single night. It would be nice... To win every game with your backup goalie but they're your backup goalie for a reason they're not as good and the only game he's going to play against a good team is going to be st louis on the second half of a back-to-back and there's nothing you can do to avoid that hunter Miska would be starting that game if we didn't make the trade and he might i don't know play a few more games before franco's ends up coming back I just, don't, I just don't think it's going to matter that much, and I think he's going to win a couple of them if you play well in front of him, and that's what you want. We've given up way too many points with the backup goalie in the net, and if he, can, if he just wins three of those games, I think we can call it even a marginal success. I mean, it would be great for him to win all of them, but I'm just being realistic, and I don't think that's going to happen. But all in all, in the game, the Avalanche played well. They didn't play perfectly. They didn't play the perfect game that they played against Minnesota last week where they completely shut them down and embarrassed them they ended up giving up 31 shots to Arizona which I found to be a little disturbing I mean 32 shots actually I mean the Coyotes do not have an offense to speak of whatsoever and our defense is normally top of the line and doesn't give up that many shots I I was a bit surprised to see that after giving up under 20 so many times that the Coyotes are the one to break the the 30 shots on goal streak, or less than 30 shots on goal streak. Yeah, they, just, they didn't play perfectly. Second half of a back-to-back, you know what, whatever. They got a point out of it. It was a good game, a solid performance. The top line rolled. Move on. Vegas on the 25th and the 27th. Those are, again, very, very important games, a very important litmus test for this team. It's not at all a question. Vegas is still at the top of this division, and they're not going anywhere until we knock them off. If we win both of these games, we are all of a sudden on the top of the West division. There, Vegas is two points ahead of us with a game in hand, and obviously if we go one and one, Vegas is going to still be ahead by two points. If we win both, then all of a sudden we'll be ahead by two points. That's how math works. We'll have 47, and they'll have 45. I think we can I think we can do it. If you play the way you played against the Wild like I said multiple times last episode, you will win those games. Vegas is not invincible. And they're 7-3 and 0 in their last 10 games. That's about what I would expect. The Avalanche are 7-1 and 2 in their last 10 games. This is going to be a re- this is going to be a real battle of the titans, you know, and The Minnesota games, as big as they were going into them, they were never going to be as big as matchups against Vegas are going to be this season. I'd say these are probably two of the most must-watch games in the entire league, I'd say, for the entire season. And what are going to be some of the other ones? These are two of the best teams in the league facing off against each other. I mean, you look around the league, what, what would the other ones be? Tampa Bay, Carolina? Even then, that's nothing to really jump out of your seat for i'm just looking at like the top teams in the league that happen to play in the the same division washington new york even his playoff history there i don't think anyone's jumping up and down to watch the islanders play though but when it comes to the avalanche and vegas those are two very exciting teams at the top of their games right now in wide open stanley cup windows it's some of the best hockey i think you'll see all season and there's something budding there with them. I don't. I wouldn't go as far to call them rivals, but I don't think they think that fondly of each other. And I think they know that if they're going to win a Stanley Cup this season, either one, they're going to have to go through each other in the playoffs. But Barring a big upset in the first round, I think, like I said, I think we know the four teams in the West, it's going to be Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis and Minnesota. I'd be shocked if one of the other four teams in the division got in just because of how well all these teams are playing this season I mean you can say maybe Minnesota or St. Louis isn't perfect but I'd be very surprised if they didn't make it in but Colorado and Vegas barring a first round upset they're gonna have to go through each other in the playoffs in order to get to a Stanley Cup and just even get to the final four and I don't think that they're gonna take it easy on each other at all in these two games, and I think the Avalanche can win, and I think it would send a big message to the league if they can win. I know it's on their home ice, and it'd be more impressive to win on the road, but who cares? There's no fans in the stands. It doesn't really make a difference. It'd be a big message to win both of these games. I I would accept a one and one I wouldn't be too disappointed about that, as long as you don't get shut out again. Like We've only been shut out against Vegas, and Flurry has come back to earth just don't get shut out again, please. 2-0 is obviously ideal. 0-2 is obviously unacceptable. 1-1, one one, I would I would accept it just because that's just how this the series has gone so far. 1-0-1, you win one, lose one in overtime. Better, but I'd prefer to win them both. These are just gonna be two outstanding games between two. Titans of a team. Two two of the Stanley Cup favorites right now, Colorado and Vegas. They've been the Stanley Cup favorites. Tampa Bay has probably taken over that spot at number one. And I'd probably I'd say maybe even deservedly so, but I'd say Vegas and Colorado are two and three. It's gonna be an outstanding matchup between those two. I really hope we do get a playoff series between them. And I think these two games will be a perfect indication as to why that would be such an outstanding series. But moving on from the game now, I want to talk about, to wrap up, my second least favorite thing in hockey, and that is officiating. Am I going to talk about the Jacob Chikrin and Nathan McKinnon thing from last night, where McKinnon gets a double minor for high-sticking and drawing blood despite the fact that Chikrin caused the entire play, by interfering and tripping McKinnon, causing McKinnon's stick to hit him in the face? No, because there was a much bigger issue with NHL officiating last night, and it didn't happen in the Avalanche Coyotes game. It happened in the Nashville Predators and Detroit Red Wings game, where Tim Peel, the noted worst official in the league, was caught on mic saying that he wanted to give Nashville a penalty early in the second period, the exact quote was, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early in the second period, he's mic'd up, this broadcasted on live television, and he's basically admitting that he wanted to call a penalty against Nashville in the game, because he, I guess he called Detroit for a penalty earlier, and he wanted to give them a makeup call, Now, remember that word makeup call, because that is the center point of this conversation. Now, we've all known that makeup calls are a thing in the NHL, and they have been a thing in the NHL for an absurdly long time. And the thing is, no one likes makeup calls. The majority of people tend to think that they're really dumb. And Tim Peel was just caught saying the dirty secret On live television, and the NHL, I suppose, punished him for it by saying that he's not going to be officiating any games anymore. And Tim Peel was retiring at the end of the season anyway, so basically they're just making it out to be a one time thing. When in reality, what Tim Peel is doing is called game management, and it's a mandate given to him and every other official in the league by the NHL. This is the NHL's directive. They want officials to be doing this. It is the worst-kept secret in the league that they that they just they don't want the games to be officiated properly. So Tim Peel is being made the scapegoat for this, and a lot of people seem to be completely missing the point that this is anger at Tim Peel or like hot mics. No, not at all, actually. This has to do with a much bigger problem, and that is the fact that NHL officiating is diseased to the core. That they just arbitrarily decide when the rules apply and when they don't. They can decide in the final five minutes of a game whether or not they are going to enforce the rulebook or not. They can decide in a playoff game whether or not they are going to enforce the rulebook or not because that's just tradition or the culture, apparently. And I cannot, for the life of me, understand how this is even a debate. How do you not want officials to call the rulebook as it is, no matter how many power plays a team has had or how late in the game it is? And the excuse I see is that officials don't want to insert themselves in the game and they want the players to play the game that is complete and utter bullshit by not inserting yourself in the game you are inserting yourself in the game by letting players get away with infractions and let's call it as it is cheating they're cheating if they're breaking the rules that's cheating and it is the officials job to call the rules It is not their job to appease the players and the coaches. It is their job to enforce the rules on the ice. No matter what time of the game it is, no matter if a team has had five power plays in a row, if a team is going to insist on taking 10 penalties a game, that is not the official's job to fix. I can sum up what officials should be doing in just a few words. If you see a penalty, call a penalty that's it. That's all you have to do. None of this game management stuff. I mean, come on. And we've known this is a thing for a while. You look up any percentages of the probability of the home team getting the next penalty. You can go to Money Puck. You can look at basically anything. You can go to Michael LaPose on Twitter at Stats by LaPose and look at how past penalties affect future calls. And They are skewed significantly that when the away team has more penalties, the odds of the home team getting the next penalty increase substantially, almost sometimes up to 20 to 40%, which should not at all be the case. The official's job is to prevent the players from breaking the rules and enforce the game. Otherwise, what are we doing here with the rule book? Why do we even have it? And the argument I've seen is, well, if you call everything, there's going to be 30 cross-checks a game. Well, that's not exactly the ref's problem, is it? If the referee sees a cross-check, he needs to be calling a cross-check. He can't just blatantly ignore the cross-check just because of this or that and this and that. And that's ultimately my biggest issue with officiating as a whole in sports especially in hockey i can handle officials making mistakes i won't be happy about it but i can handle it i can accept it because they're human and they're going to miss things or make the wrong call what i can not stand is when officials do this they actively change the outcome of a game and decide when they need to apply the rules and when they don't need to. That is what I can't stand. I can I can take the human error and the human element part of officiating, but when officials arbitrarily decide that they can decide when the rules apply is where I can't stand it. When blatant Penalties get ignored, and soft ones get called. That is where you lose me, and that is where I feel like I lose my mind with officiating. And Tim Peel, in my opinion, is easily one of the worst officials in the league, or was at least. And you know why? Because I know his name. And because every time I see or hear the name Tim Peel, my immediate reaction is ugh. Because he does crap like this all the time. And the thing is... The players want them to do this. The players want them to have makeup calls and let them play down the stretch. You know why? Because the players want to cheat. They want to do that. They don't want to get penalties called on them. And the fact that we've been asking players what they think about it is ridiculous. Of course they're going to say that, well, they emphasize with the difficult... Jo- like, the quote from John Taveras from Luke Fox earlier today reads that John Tavares emphasizes, or empathize, I can't talk, empath, empath. why, okay, John Tavares understands, I'm changing the word, the difficult job that referees have, and makes a good point about the idea of calling everything to the letter of the law. Do we want a face-off violation penalized in the final minute of a tied game? Uh, I know my answer to that. Yes. Yeah absolutely Are you're telling me you're just gonna let a guy cheat on the face-off in the final minute of a tied game that's just somehow better than calling a penalty if it's in the rule book and the referee sees the infraction happening why is he not calling it i don't care how much time is left if, if it is a tied game and there's under five minutes left and the official makes a call and it's the right call why the f- why would I be mad at the official and not mad at the player for taking the penalty? Have more discipline then. The like the officials cannot just decide oh we're going to let the guys play. By letting them play, you're actively letting them cheat and change the game. That's n- not supposed to be played that way based on the rule book and this is why players like Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid don't score like 10 points every single night because players can just hack and slash them at their will and the refs aren't going to call anything because the NHL has this bizarre obsession with prioritizing the like the depth players on teams and the guys that take penalties and make dirty hits over their star players. We've seen it multiple times throughout this season. They care way more about those guys than any of their star players. They are allowed to commit murder on those guys when it comes to just hacking and slashing them and hooking them. Like If Nathan McKinnon's about to get around someone, they'll just reach their stick in there, pull them back, they'll slash them on the hands. You see it all the time. And the referees will just ignore it. Or maybe some. Sometimes they won't. They're not even consistent with that. All we're asking for is consistency. If the referee sees a penalty on the ice, all I want is for him to call it. Am I asking him to call everything that happens in the game all the time? No, because he's going to miss some things, because he's a person. Like, he's going to make mistakes. But if you see an infraction happening, call it. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to miss things, and they're going to make bad calls. But as long as you are putting in an active effort to do your job every single night and do your best at your job, then there's really nothing to complain about. And a lot of my gripes with with officiating would go away. It's when officials just decide that they can do that, that they can decide All right, the playoffs start now. The rule book has now completely changed from the end of the regular season, just because it's the it's the playoffs now. The rules are different. Oh, it's overtime now. It's a close game. The rules are different now. No, they're not, and no, they shouldn't be. The rules need to be the rules. And you know what? If you're not going to call the rules, then be consistent with that at least. Don't sometimes call the rules and these makeup penalties and everything, just call the rules. And, like, with with the whole makeup penalties thing, like, who ca- Like, why are we calling makeup penalties? If it's not a penalty, don't call it. If it is, call it. I don't care if you've had to kill five penalties in a row. You are not owed the next power play if you keep committing penalties. That's not the official's problem at all. If you're going to insist on taking 10 penalties a game and not adapting, that's your fault. And it's the official's job to bust them on that and put them in the box. I I don't even see the argument for the other side because there just really isn't one. You have a rule book, just call it. The only reason we don't is because of culture and tradition. No, your culture and tradition is letting the players walk on you. That's what your tradition is. You let the players decide, well... I'm not as good as Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. So I'm just going to hook and slash them to kingdom come because I can't keep up with them. What? Now you're going to call penalties? This, this is goes against hockey culture. This goes against the traditions of the game, man. It's ru- ruining the flow of the game. Just let the players play, man. How about that? How about we just let the players play and let the officials officiate? How about we do both? How about when a player commits a penalty which is in the rule book and part of the game you're letting them play the game if they're committing penalties call it and let the officials officiate by making calls i can't believe that this is still a thing it's a it's a horrible look for the league that this has to be a thing it's why people don't take the league very seriously it's why the league's fans don't take it very seriously a lot of the time It's something that needs to be fixed as soon as possible. You need to have a consistent rulebook that doesn't change based on how many penalties a team has took or how late in the game it is or if it's the playoffs or the preseason. From puck drop on the preseason to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, the standard needs to be the same. It cannot vary from game to game because now in Euro, just letting the players play, you have inserted yourself into the game and are now actively changing the outcome of the game because you are deciding what the rules are now. That can't happen. If a player is going to take a penalty in the final few minutes of a close game and screw over his team, I'm not going to be mad at the ref for calling it. I will be mad at the player for taking the penalty. I can't can't even believe this is something we have to discuss because a lot of the media heads that have connections with NHL teams are defending how business is done this is not right none of this is right and none of this is okay and none of it has to do with Tim Peel getting caught on a hot mic this has to do with NHL officiating being rotten to the core and not doing their jobs correctly I honestly don't really care much about Tim Peel in this whole situation I really don't. This goes way beyond Tim Peel and just his mic being on at the wrong time. That's not my problem with this at all. But anyway, like I just can't even believe that this is a discussion, that we have to actually discuss whether or not we should call the rules. If you have a rule book, call them. I don't understand this unwritten rules and all that. It's a, It's a mess. It's a disaster. Call the rules as they happen. If there's a penalty, just call it. But man, I think I think that's enough ranting for one episode, don't you think? I think I covered my rant on the shootout. I've covered my rant about NHL officiating. I think that I think that'll just about do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs. It is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell it, it Is. Thank you once again for tuning in and I will catch you all next time after we have two games against the Vegas Golden Knights in the books and hopefully two wins in the books as well. I will see you guys next time.